Are you a sneakerhead? A baller? Want to know about the hottest brands you can lace up and run with? Well, get ready, because we got all the details right here. It's Kicks and Bricks, where we got game on the streets and on the court. Here's your host, Jamel Cutler. to a new edition of Kicks and Bricks. Today we have a giant in the sneaker world. He's worked with Reebok, Nike, and UA. He's created signature sneakers for Michael Vick, Emmitt Smith, Albert Pujols, Shaq, Steph Curry, and others. E. Scott Morris. What's going on, E? Hey, what's going on, Jamil? Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no doubt, man. Um, can you just talk about, like, how did you get started designing sneakers? literally started when I was uh, 14 years old. Um, <clears throat> if you can envision, this is probably around 1979, 1980. And uh, at that time, you know, Converse was very popular. Nike had really just come onto the set in 72, but nobody really even knew what it was, uh, even in the late 70s, early 80s. Uh, people said Nike. They didn't even say Nike. <clears throat> so if you can envision, because I love sports, I love, you know, comic books. Uh, I love, you know, animation, cartoons. So whenever I would draw something, I would always draw the shoes attached to the person. And, you know, this is on it. And then it started to hit me. Who designs these shoes? Who does this? And I remember asking my mom. I said, Mom, um... I think I could be a shoe designer. She said, well, who do you want to be a shoe designer for? I said, well, maybe this company, Nike. I think I think I could help them. And she said, well, you know what? If you believe that, then you need to chase that because I think you can do it too. And that started the ball rolling, man. Did any of like old school shoes from back then, like Converse, did that kind of like influence your style as a designer? It's interesting. The shoes themselves might not have influenced me as a I think the real sneaker influence came once I was in the industry and I kind of knew what was going on in different places. Uh, I was in the industry at that, what I call, you know, if you want to call it the golden era, some people might call it a silver era, where in the 90s, you know, Adidas uh, had come out with a shoe that was really, really cool. Um, and it was called Adidas Equipment, and it had a removable sock. Uh, I remember uh, Reebok at that time had the pump. It came out in like, in like 86, somewhere in that, actually, I'm sorry, 89. And it was really popular. And it just was changing the way people looked at shoes. Shoes had gone from, oh, yeah, it's just sneakers and, you know, running shoes and basketball shoes to, man, I look cool. Now, of course, it never hurts when a Michael Jordan shows up. And night after night, he's doing amazing things. So, you know, I actually had my Air Jordan 1s and paid $40 oh, wow. for a pair of Air Jordan 1s, if you can imagine that. They were on closeout because they weren't doing well. 
Could you imagine that? Forty dollars. Forty dollars. Forty US. Air Jordan ones. Red, white, black. Black swoosh. Red toe. Red top. White metal. You mm-hmm. know, right quarter. It was, it was amazing. And uh, I threw in the black laces and the red laces. You know, so I double laced. It was really fun. I actually have a picture. You crack up if you saw it. But oh, okay, you did have them. <laughs> but yeah, I had those shoes. I was influenced by a lot of things, and I think more than anything to answer your question. You know, Nike didn't have anybody to look at. So remember, they didn't have anything to go off of. So the fact that they were creating product and concepts and styles that we had never even thought of thinking that way before, it was so different. It was so fresh. And even the colors, you know, to use like a a warm tan with white and a red swoosh. At that time, it was like, huh, what? But then you start realizing just how innovative it was because it was something you hadn't seen, but yet it worked really well. All right, so like back in the day, designers had to like sketch out the sneakers. Now we have like computers. Like you talk about like the process that you had to go through back then, like when it came to sketching by hand. Well, <clears throat> well, first off, you're right. Back in the day, there was a lot of sketching. Uh, I'm actually an uh, industrial designer, product designer by trade. I went to Michigan State, and that's where I learned the, the formal craft of product design. Sketching and conceptualizing is actually still a part of the discipline. And it's, in my opinion, it should be required to do it for one reason. It's great if you can sketch on an iPad or, or any type of other computer. And some people have the ability to kind of do loose sketches digitally on, you know, on their computer or however they choose. The reason why we sketched back then in the process was to get a group of ideas together to see does it match what the request is. If a, if a certain athlete or a certain consumer wanted a certain type of shoe, your job was to begin to read the brief because a product marketing person would give you that brief and say, this is the kind of shoe we're looking for. This is the cost of the shoe. Um, it should have this technology in it. And we believe that the consumer who wants it will do these things in it, right? Uh-huh. So that is where the sketching, after you get the brief, sort of comes in. And that's kind of the first part of the process. From the sketches, you basically sit down and look at those sketches. And some people will sketch big and some people will sketch small, depending on your style. Um, I used to sketch it probably medium. So take an eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, chop it in half, and I probably would draw my shoes that size try to see if I could get the feeling of, of what I wanted to do. And it was trying to capture what some people call, Jamel, a gesture. Meaning, if you saw the shoe at 20 paces, somebody standing there, you know, 20 feet, 30 feet away from you, what do you see? Do you Does it grab your attention? Does it make you look and go, wow, that's pretty cool. What is that? So that's the way that I would sketch. And the way I was taught to sketch was try to create the visual impact from 20 to 30 paces. Then when they really kind of get up on it, that's when they see the details. Once you kind of determine <clears throat> if the shoe is what you want, the look is right uh, for the activity, whether it be a running shoe, basketball training, then you actually would sketch it to scale, meaning you would sketch either a men's size nine or you would sketch a women's size seven. And then you would actually present the concept and the idea to your product marketing team and your development team and, of course, to a greater audience because you would have what they call a concept 
debut and introduce your new idea. Uh, they concept debuts were fun, and uh, man, when I tell you they would get really competitive back in the day, people would really try to go all out to like blow your mind. Like they might go and rent something, or they might bring something in and say, "Hey, this is good, kind of what it's like," or have somebody in the model shop make you a, a piece of glass that looks like what you're gonna do. Or it was awesome, man. It was so much fun. But that's the basic part. Of it. Um, did you use like that process when you got started with Reebok or was it like more? Yes, yes I did. All right. Yes, I did. That process was every season for every shoe that was ever done. And the number one goal was to get the approval of your product marketing uh, leader uh, and approval from your development leader because in development, what they're going to do is once you design the shoe, let's say you design the, the look of it, you only have the profile view, they're going to ask you for the opposite view, which is the inside of the shoe or the medial side. They're going to ask you for a top view. They're going to ask you for a back view. They might ask you for a front view. They'll ask you for what the tongue looks like without the shoe. They'll ask you for any other components, and you have to draw engineered sections to show those components. And you have to take the tool that it's on, like the bottom unit, and you if, if it's a brand new bottom unit, you would have to do a tech drawing for that, which is a, like a schematic of front view, back view, lateral, medial, top, bottom, and side, and then show all the sections to show all of the contours of the shoe. Now, that's the part where a lot of designers go, oh, this part, I don't like, this, is, this part isn't fun. That's the one part, Jamel, that separates the, the illustrator from the designer. Because real designers don't have a problem doing that work. They're like, if you want to see my vision come to life, then now you're going to see the real work get done. That's that's the equivalent of somebody who's a really good basketball player, uh -huh. putting up shots before anybody gets in the gym, or working hard when nobody's around. And when it's game time, it's like, right. all you see is great results. Right, kind of like Michael Jordan did. Development is critical in the process. All right, so like when I was a kid, like one of my favorite shoes was like the Reebok pumps, and I would pump them things to death. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, can you talk about oh, like the copy circulation? <laughs> <laughs> can you talk about like the creative process behind that shoe? Sure. Now, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't create the pump. It actually was a group of people, um, a gentleman by the name of Paul Litchfield, who still works for Reebok today, and uh, Paul's awesome. Uh, he's one of the most critical individuals in the process of that concept being created. Uh, he worked with another uh, design firm called Design Continuum, um, and together they kind of crafted the idea for what was called an internal uh, self-inflating or or manual inflated air system, which is what you know is the pump today. Right. Nike actually had one, but the difference was they had an external bottle that you had to put up to the nozzle and squeeze the bottle to inject the air. And it was on the back of the shoe. Uh, and the, the shoe for all of the historians out there called air pressure. Now that shoe was popular, but it didn't do as well as the pump because it was self-contained. And so uh, the air really was kind of the signaling 
of that new revolution of technology and footwear was going to become something that was a high standard. Right. And I feel like the pump is one is one of like the greatest shoes that kind of defined the 90 generation sneaker era. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I definitely think, Jamel, it was uh, it was the start of tech really becoming critical in footwear because what I think the audience wanted was give me the science of how footwear can help me be better. I want to enhance my capabilities. We all know that you know none of us were going to jump as high as Michael Jordan, but the reality was. They had you believing that the air is helping him do it. The reality is he didn't need air to jump that high. Um, what the pump really was designed to do was to give you a, a secure fit, right, and adjustable support. Um, and for those people who say, you know, I've never had that, that was an added advantage. Uh, even back then, you know, Puma had the disc, right? So there were so many technologies emerging in the 90s. It actually allowed every single company to have a position of equal capacity on the shelf. Right, and like you're probably the only person I know that like the that designed a certain sneaker for for a father son NBA duo with Steph and Del Curry. Like, what was it like? Yeah. Yes. So That's like, great. so like, what does it mean to have like your work kind of cross generations and? like kind of make a big impact in both generations? I think the best, the best part of that feeling was the fact that, you know, knowing that Steph's dad, Dell, you know, that Dell liked the product. And he was a pivotal, you know, Reebok endorser in the 90s at that time, you know, for Charlotte. So just to have him be a part of the athlete team that represents so important. And we were really glad to have him be a part. And then if you can envision, you know, I go and I'm doing my research on Steph uh, when I'm working with Under Armour. And I notice a picture of his dad and he's got all pump vert. And I literally start laughing going, oh, my gosh, that's right. His dad wore my stuff, too. And so that was the age uh, of his portfolio for his design concept. That I presented to Steph Curry. And I said, you know, you familiar with this picture? And Steph said, yeah. I said, you familiar with these shoes? He goes, yeah. I said, well, Steph, you know, I designed them for your father. And now I have the privilege of designing shoes for you. I said, so this one is generational. And he busted out laughing. Oh, man, it's so cool. Can I take a picture to show my dad? Yeah, dude, go ahead. His agent, just so you know, his agent, Jeff. Jeff was also his dad's agent, too. And Jeff looked at me and goes, that's where I know you from. Your hair is different. I'm like, yeah, I don't have a high top, dude. <laughs> yeah, man, that's crazy, man. You know, he realized, it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the same dude from, like, a long time ago. I'm like, yeah, dude. So it was a, it was a great moment, you know. It was a really cool moment. I loved that moment. So good. All right, so, like, Steph, he's a top five NBA player. But, like, back in the 90s, Shaq was, like, the most dominant force in the world. And like, and like, a lot of your shoes kind of feature a certain aesthetic that represents the player's personality. So like, I want to know like, how did you come up with the ideas for Shaq Reebok line for the Shaq Four that was released in '94? Yeah. So one thing that I learned uh, when it was my turn to kind of take to 
take the reins of Shaquille's product was that Shaquille was always looking ahead. And if you even see Shaquille today, the things he talks about and the things that he's interested in is always about to happen or just started happening. He's always been ahead of the curve. So when I got to him, you know, his Shaq 1 was very popular. The Shaq attack was really good. Um, I think Shaq 2 kind of was more like a, a hybrid, low, mid kind of shoe. And it was kind of a continuation of the, of the first shoe. Third shoe, I felt, was really different. Uh, my friend Judy Close worked on that. And I really felt like by the time I got it, it needed to be a reset. You know, it's like they, they went, you know, one, two, three, you know, stop at three, start at four. So all I kept thinking was, this is a big man. How does this big man stay locked down in a shoe? And the idea of a ghillie lacing, where it was these loops, it was super easy to pull into place, combined with the pump and a heel strap, you know, would be really good for him. So I knew out the gate, Shaq 4, you know, needed to be something that get back to basics so that Shaq feels like, okay, I can go from here in any direction I want to go. And again, you know, I sketched a handful of ideas, but I wanted I wanted that boldness, right? Like, you know, if you think about a BMW 7 Series, you know, it's a big, bold car, but the lines are really clean and really beautiful. You know, same thing with, you know, Mercedes-Benz S-Class, you know, which Shaq actually had one at the time. And so it was trying to think about what products are, is he using today or at that time? And how do you make a product that has that same psychology, but you have to bring it to his feet, literally. And so, you know, by the time we got to Shaq 4 and all the testing and all of to hear him say, you know, shoe's great. I love the shoe. You know, just keep doing what you're doing. I trust you. That was one of the best feelings in the world. So it's just a combination of looking at what an athlete uses uh, what he or she likes and try to implement those ideas into the product. Like, and, and, and for me, what kind of stood out about that shoe that it featured an Insta pump technology instead of the traditional pump technology from for back then? Shaquille was always up for, you know, the science and the technology parts of footwear to come into his footwear, especially if it was going to give him any kind of advantage. And uh, instant pump with the CO2 cartridge and the actual injector, man, it was perfect because it was so fast. It was just like, boop, you know, less than a second, and that thing was completely inflated. So it was definitely the right kind of product for Shaquille. Like, and I think, like, his most famous shoe from that time was the Shaq Gnosis, the one that had, like, the black and white kamikaze look yeah, to it. Yeah, yeah. Now, now, I got yeah. to be honest. Now, I cannot take credit for that shoe. Um, that is my good friend, John Morris, who actually uh, lives in Massachusetts still to this day. Uh, but the story behind the Shaq Nelson is actually a great So uh, Reebok at that time <clears throat> was trying to come up with a collection of product that they could present to the general public and say, you know, this is what we stand for. So as a complete design group, we decided that the concept was going to be based on a Mobius. Now, you might say, E, what's a Mobius? Well, in science, a Mobius is a fabric of space where time is set up in a loop, right? Now, if you saw the Avengers Endgame, it was the thing that Tony Stark was looking at going, oh my gosh, you could actually go through time. That's what it was. And so we thought back then, 
of would it be cool if we use black and white lines to show that they're really all connected, but the frequency of those lines could be. So that's where Kamikaze and uh, the Blast, the tennis shoe, and Shaknosis and a handful of other shoes began to get their credit. John Morris had come up with this concept for Shagnosis. And it was so good, Jamel, <clears throat> that even I had to say, dude, I'm not going to top that. Johnny's going to have to do this shit. And so we all kind of laughed like, man, Johnny, you doing the Shack, dude? And he just kind of laughed like, all right, cool. Side note, John's last name is Morris, too. So Shaquille was like, you're not doing the shoe? I'm like, Shaquille, but when you see what John's got, you're going to be glad he did it. And sure enough, as soon as Shaquille saw that shoe, Jamel, he was like, now, nah, that's what I'm talking about. He loved the visual. He, f- he felt it was him. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud to say I didn't have, a, I didn't have <clears throat> so much pride that I couldn't give it up. The fact that Johnny did it, I think, made his day. Made his millennium, who knows. But it was cool to see him have a chance to do it. Like, and a lot of shoes from the 90s drew inspiration from the Shaq Gnosis shoe. Like, the Reebok Blast, I think, um, Nick Van Nexel wore it when he was with the Lakers. I think, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think for me, you know, that Mobius collection was so connected to players <clears throat> and what they loved and what they wanted. <clears throat> because Reebok was such a good brand. It was a hot brand back then. So all of the players that were part of the NBA Reebok family, they had no problem stepping in, stepping up, and jumping on other key products. Because you have to remember... <clears throat> with Johnny doing Shaquille for Shaq 5, I was still doing a lot of the above the rim product. So Pump Vert, D-Factor, uh, D-Brown's D-Time, uh, you know, helping with the shoes like the crossover with my friend Tommy DeSilvio. He did the main work, but, you know. And then, of course, there's uh, shoes like the Breakaway, uh, the Altimeter, and a handful of other shoes if you go back in history. <clears throat> what I like the most is that no one was telling us not to do those shoes. They were like, you got to come up with something. And we got to really got athletes excited about it. So, you know, we tried to create products that we thought would really get both the player's attention and the consumer's attention. Was there like a Shaq Kamikaze 3 ever in the works after that? Or It's funny you mentioned that because <clears throat> I wish I could... I wish I could show you pictures right now because I have them. Um, the discussion was try to, to try to create something like that for him as time went by. And but you know along the way you really learned that you know you have to be wise when you have an asset as amazing as him. And so you know after the Shaq Four, you know we had the Shaq Trainer, mm-hmm. we had the Shaq Sandal, which was actually a basketball sandal. Which some people call it the Shandal because it was a shoe. And a sandal, which came from Shaquille saying, I like to shoot around in my sandals, but I don't want nobody to see my toes because my toes might be a little beat up during the season. So I got the idea, why don't you basically make a wraparound strap sandal with a basketball bottom so you can shoot around. And so what I realized was when you talk about the Kamikaze, which side note, Ricardo Vestuti, uh, who still works at Reebok, actually was the guy who designed that very first Kamikaze and got everybody excited. I think the thing was, we didn't know that we could have made a franchise out of Kamikaze. You know, at that time it was, it was one for one on great shoes. And if people liked it, you tried to bring back a second or a third. 
but it was difficult because the lines were so memorable. People thought, well, there's no way you're going to be able to do a second or a third or a fourth. And so that's why I think there was no, like, Kamikaze 3, 4, 5, etc. Right. So, like, Shaq, he changed the game on the NBA hardwood. And another athlete that was kind of transcendent in his sport was Michael Vick. He changed the way, like, how we view black quarterbacks and um, was working with him like a big turning point in your um, designing career? Oh, absolutely. You know, first off, I have to say, Michael Vick is probably one of the nicest people you ever meet. Um, His demeanor is always cool. And, you know, whenever... Whenever I would meet him, I remember the first time I met him, I met him at a restaurant called Houston's in Atlanta. Um, and it was with his, his first agent and our team from Nike. And, you know, I wanted to know what his thoughts were, what he was thinking about. But could you imagine, Jamel, I show up and this guy brings sneakers with him to tell me what he likes. So he has a bag with him. Let me show you the shoes that I like. And he's breaking out the Nike shoes. He's got Air Force One. Um, you know, he's got some Jordans. He's shown me a couple other shoes. And I'm saying to myself, man, this dude actually knows what he wants. And I thought, what a great thing to tell a designer so that he can kind of, you could get your focus to meet his need, right? So for me, at that point, it was, I'm going to start creating for him. And in that process, um, I, I knew he was dynamic. I mean, he was about dynamic at Virginia Tech. But him coming into the NFL and, you know, him really just lighting up that first season, I knew at that point this is either going to go amazing or this could just be one of those, it happened and then it stops. So we did Vic 1, Arizona Vic 1, and I remember his response to the shoe when I finally showed him. Uh, He was so excited, man. He was like, this is me. He said, that's me. That's what I'm talking about. And I thought, man, this dude loves, he loves this process. Um, so the sketchbook for Arizona Big One is probably about 30 pages, and it shows uh, modern, like, highly st- shows, you know, different sketches that I did. You know, it shows graphics, um, different color versions, uh, tech information, and the number one goal was to try to capture who this guy was. I asked him a question when he had first come out. I said, uh, You know, what do you want people to remember about you when it's all over? And uh, he said, I want people to remember me as being unexpected, meaning they never knew what he was going to do. And he lived up to it. He lived up to that being unexpected. Can you talk about, like, some of the tech that kind of went into the um, Vic ones? Yeah. Well, the first thing was, uh, in in kind of my notes, I said, you know, Michael is like a motorcycle amongst cars. If you ever seen cars going down the freeway at about 60, 70 miles an hour, there's always a motorcycle whipping between cars. And you're like, dang, that, that guy's flying. <clears throat> That's what I felt Michael was like on the field. It was like other people were running, and he was running in between them. Like, oh, yeah, excuse me, excuse me. And so it was almost like I needed to create something that it protected him, but it allowed him to be as light as possible. So one of the things I did is there was a molded quarter panel that allowed air to get inside the shoe so his foot could move. But it was kind of like, you know, it had a little bit of a tough surface. Um, and it kind of gave it this, okay, it's vented, it's tough, it's protected, that's good. Um, but I also cut that 
area out of the back of the heel so the dude could actually do what they call plantar flexion. Because if you look, Michael could sprint so much, he could move so fast. It was like he doesn't need like a rigid cleat. He needs something that's like lightweight, but parts are cut out so he can move better. So we took that area out of out of the heel uh, and the Achilles notch so that he could really flex his foot. Then the other thing was just giving him really great, a, a, a really nice clean forefoot, you know, nothing excessive. So that's why the forefoot was leather and it had that red band around it because I'm like, man, he just needs a simple protective cover over his forefoot so he can cut really hard and he doesn't have to worry about the shoe blowing out or, you know, not holding him on the platform. So those were a handful of the things I tried to put in the shoe. Uh, and of course, on the top of the uh, collar <laughs> to keep it locked down. So that's how Air Zoom Vic 1 kind of went. So like after the success of the first shoe, like creative wise, where do you, where did you want to go with the release of the Vic 2s? So once Vic, Vic 1 took off, we knew we, were gonna, we had success. People were clamoring for the next one. First thing I thought was we have to get back to him ASAP. And we need to think about what he wants. So we quickly got down to Atlanta to meet with him again. And with Vic 2, it was, all right, let's talk about how we're going to protect you the next time, right? And right off the top, his thing was Vic 1 worked really good. Can we do a continuation of that shoot? And I said, sure. I said, it's not going to look the same, but I want it to kind of feel like it's the same. So, all right. I said, we're just going to enhance it. So we started sky sketching and I'm thinking out loud. And that's where you saw the white toe with the blower in the front. So right. all of the side vents went to the toe <clears throat> on the vamp. And that was the main vent. And then on the side, <clears throat> I don't know if you remember, but the swoosh was huge, right? Like it was tonal. So it was whatever color the the side quarter was, the swoosh was the same color. And the reason why that happened is because uh, Mark Parker, who was the CEO of Nike, he said, guys, I need the logo to be big because if he's on the you know professional field, I want people to see it. Now, I'm thinking, I'm going to put a big, giant, opposite colored swoosh on the shoe. So I'm kind of gritting my teeth. Like, I don't really want to do that, but he's what he wants. So I sketched it that way, and I just never liked it. So I got the idea... Well, he can't get mad if it's molded and it's toned, right? It's there. It's just not there in color. <clears throat> so that's how I ended up doing the swoosh. Um, we actually did the zoom bag and the heel because I think Mike likes zoom. And so we just get that little cage around it with the seven. Uh, we did that. And then underneath the shoe, if you flip it over, there was that detail where you saw that red line kind of go straight from the heel, zigzag, Jamel, and then it mm -hmm. went straight again. <clears throat> I would watch running full speed in one direction. Somebody, some opponent was trying to get to him and step in, lure him, and then step back out and run straight and lose him. And I thought, man, that's going to be the line that I put underneath that shoe. And then, of course, you know, you had the uh, heel strap where you actually could lace, and it would pull the Achilles pad up to your Achilles to lock you in. So it was the exact flip and opposite of Air Zoom Vic 1, where it didn't have the Achilles. This one had the Achilles, and it actually moved. So it was me trying to play a pun, kind of in a trick on myself. Like, if I did this last time, I'm going to see if I could do the opposite this time and still make it work. Like, one of the things that stick out to me about the Vic 2 is the logo. Like, how did you guys come up with that perfect logo for, um, for the Vic 2? <clears throat> well, again, 
Um, if you're talking about the talking about his per his personal logo, yeah, yeah. Well, <clears throat> I have to give credit again because uh, so many people I worked with along the way. Uh, you might have heard the name Jason Maiden. Well, Jason Maiden is the actual person who came up with the concept for Michael Vick's logo because he was working at Nike at the time as well. And I liked it very much because it was the M and the V with the seven underneath. And, you know, Michael liked it too. And it's perfect. So it was just us implementing that logo to make sure that people saw it and they knew that it was him. It was like, this is who he is. You know, this is his symbol. Um, so it was a good collaboration. All right. And to me, like the Vic 2 was like more personable because the shoe had elements that kind of like fit his personality. And it was shown in some of the silhouettes, like that didn't make it to like general release, such as like the Carolina blue colorway and the Pro Bowl colorway. Like, how come those shoes didn't get like a proper release for the public? Well, I think at the time, Jamel, one of the things that we hadn't got to that we do now is when they did general release, <clears throat> maybe the next color after, they wouldn't put out excessive colorways. They would only put out a handful. Because they thought not everybody's going to buy them. And a lot of people weren't shopping online like they, like they are now. But all of those colors, the colorways that you saw, all of those colorways came from him personally as a request. <clears throat> Which was the ones with the Carolina was actually uh, his uh, high school. Um, his high school colors were that color. And so he was like, you know, this is what I want. I want my high school colors with check. Um, the Steelers colors uh, that version of Big Two that he liked, uh, he actually would play uh, Madden, and his favorite team was the Steelers. So he always played as the Pittsburgh Steelers. So that's why the black and yellow one existed. Um, we did a Virginia Tech version. Um, we did a Pro Bowl version. Um, I don't know if we did the, I don't know if we did the Captain America version. I think we did have a, that was the Pro Bowl version, because I know, yeah, it was the Pro Bowl version, because again, it had the red, the white, and blue, AFC, NFC. <laughs> And again, it was always just trying to make sure we met his request. And so my, not so much a regret, but I get a little bummed out because I think the audience would have liked to have had shots to get those different colors. But just it just wasn't in the cards at the time. And like a private collector, he somehow got his hands on it. And um, I was trying to buy it off of him, but, you know, I wasn't paying that much. Right. <laughs> Don't blame you. <laughs> All right, so, like, the victory was, like, a major change from, like, the first two releases. Like, what kind of went into the creative decisions for that shoe? Well, victory was interesting for this, for, for this particular reason. <clears throat> now I've watched him for yeah. two years straight. And one thing I noticed is the guy was moving so quickly, so fast, that he wasn't, he just didn't have what I consider to be enough protection. The shoes were working for him, but when they were converted to cleats, I feel like there were some things still missing. So I got the idea, how do I protect him, right? Protect him from himself, protect him from other people. And so my thoughts were, could I create a strap that I could truly lock this guy down? Um, when he did a five-step or seven-step drop, go in the pocket, does he feel secure if he decides to take off because his passing scheme falls apart? or his blocking scheme falls apart, does he have what he needs to like cut on a dime? So I got the idea of 270 degrees of protection. And that's where I started the sketchbook. 
And I started trying to come up with a unique way to have the strap wrap around his foot and come back and lock down. Man, Jamel, I must have drew probably like over a hundred illustrations of possibilities um, and what I thought they could do and how I think they could work and how it might look on his foot. Uh, and a lot of people were not sold on that idea, but I knew that Mike might be. So when he came to Nike that particular June day, uh, I remember presenting the concept to him and I had a model built uh, with a sock so he could see how it would look. And I remember him going, nod his head. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. And I remember asking him, I said, okay, man. I said, I'm just going to be honest. This is Chansey. This is not like what we've done before. But I really believe if we got this right, not only would it protect you, but I think you'd like the feeling of it. Um, what do you think? And he looked at it, looked at it. And I could see a lot of people in the room, you know, his agent, um, our product marketing people, they were looking. And then Mike said, you know what, E? I'm in, man. If you, if you, if you, I trust you. I'm in. And he just reached over. I reached across the table and he reached his hand out like, I'm in. As soon as we dapped each other, you could see like everybody was like, okay, we're doing it. And uh, I remember, I have a picture of it too. It just makes me laugh. And I'm thinking at that moment, it was like, nice to know he trusted me to take him in that direction. All right. And like my favorite part of the V3 is the, like the placement of the strap. And like yes. on the Dirty South version of the shoe, like it had dedication to like Virginia Tech. Um, I think his love for boxing and a few other things. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, he gave me a long list, Jamel, of things that he loved. And, you know, his mom, and his uh, family, um, everything, everything that he loved. I tried to, you know, illustrate and actually get it onto the strap. I mean, nowadays... You know, some guys can do that on their computer like nothing. It's like, whip, 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 put that stuff in there. But, you know, I wasn't much of a computer whiz at that time. So what I did was I actually had the factory give me the actual pattern for the strap. And then I actually illustrated all of those things by hand on the actual shell pattern of the strap. Then we gave it to a guy to do an AI. He AI'd it. And then they actually did all the laser etching. So... It was kind of fun to realize it was like, you know, I can only do so much and then I got to pass it to somebody else and let them continue with the vision. So like after the success of the V3, did the, um, did the creative process like come harder for you when it came time for the V4? Yeah, it did. And there were a lot of other uh, contributing factors that made Vic4 even harder. It was a, there was a lot of people who wanted to get in on this thing, man. You know, when we first started off, imagine if you were getting in an elevator <clears throat> and then somebody told you, yeah, this elevator is going to the top floor, okay? So you get on and three other people that you know really well get on, right? You stop at the next floor. Like one person gets on. You're still pretty comfortable, right? Then you get to the third floor. Then like all these people get on. People you don't know never saw before but they all are a part of what you're trying to do and then you get to the fourth floor and even more people get on now they're trying to tell you how you should design it and what you should do and how you should do it and if you don't do this it's not going to be successful <clears throat> and i'm thinking where were you on the first one the second mm -hmm. one and the third one but here you are 
mouthing off on the fourth one. Now, the individual who shall be remain nameless, because I don't want to put his name out there, he went over to the factory and actually told the factory, well, if you, if you can't do blah, 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 this shoe's going to be a failure. And this is like a week before I'm about to travel over to the factory to work on the shoe, right? The Air Zoom Vic 4. So this guy goes over and makes a complete mess of everything. So when I arrive, there is no shoe, you know? There's nothing. And it's all because this individual just didn't understand the design process and what needed to get done. So I apologize to the factory. I had to pull everybody in, all of the pattern makers, tooling technicians, everybody. I had to apologize. I had to publicly apologize for the mess that this guy made. And then I said, you know, uh, I promise you I will get this shoe right. We will get this shoe right, and, and it will be done, and we're going to be successful again. And they were like, cool. At least he said it. So after they headed out, I invited the other guy in. <clears throat> and I got to say, man, I laid in the dude like the 4th of July. He was a firecracker. I lit him up. And I had to because I'm like, you're not the designer. You're not even really the product marketing guy. You're just being busy, and you're getting in the way. So my advice simply is get the hell out of the way. And as a matter of fact, when it's done, I'll hand you the shoe and you can go sell it. That's what you can do. Okay? So you move. Um, it wasn't to be mean, but it was so many people in the process. Jamel, you're right. We got the four, man. It was like people pushing me from the back, tapping me on the chest, tapping me on the left shoulder, the right shoulder. Do this, do that, do this, do that. I really, man, I, I got to be honest, man. It was almost like... <clears throat> I almost fumbled. I almost dropped it. I have a good friend. His name's Aaron Miller. And Aaron was with me literally through all of that. Because uh, we worked in Cleated together. And he literally said, man, can we go back and look at your sketches? Yeah. He's like, dude, how come you just don't do this one? And it was the one that ended up being Air Zoom Vic 4. I said, you know, I always liked it because it was so simple. It was kind of like a, a cousin to the to the first one. He agreed. He said, and so we talked it through. And we ended up doing that one. And uh, it had good success. So in the end, you know, it always comes back to the simplest, earliest, best things you do tend to be the things you end up doing if you're smart. Hey, because of like all the hands that kind of went into the V4, like is that one of the reasons why you guys hit the reset button for the V5? Yes, that is ex the exact reason why we hit the reset button. <clears throat> because we knew at that point it was like, there's too many people trying to get in. We need to step back. We need to really, you know, put ourselves in the right kind of position for Vic 5. Because I felt like, you know, after four iterations, because it was like one was by itself. Then it was two, three, four. And it was like, and now it's time to zigzag away and let five be the start of something else. And we, we started on our quest, you know. And like the five... It the five kind of went away from the streetwear look and it kind of went into like a more fashionable direction, like stuff that you kind of like see today. Um, on, for a couple of reasons. Uh, I felt like Mike's style was evolving. He's getting smarter. Uh, he was getting, you know, more prominent. And <clears throat> I felt like at that time, you know, Kobe was emerging as far as his product with Nike. Uh, I think LeBron was emerging. Right, his product with Nike. So I felt like Mike needed to be in that conversation about sneakers. Man, I love the Kobe's. I love the Vicks. I love the LeBrons. <clears throat> you know, Jordan was obvious. We we're all looking up to him. 
but it really had everything to do with, you know, is his product going to mature? Is it going to begin to evolve, like, and look different from what it looked like? So the five for me was, I looked at a lot of fashion. I looked at a lot of high-end watches, a lot of high-end dress shoes. Uh, there's a company called Virtu that makes these really high-end cell phones. Uh, I looked at them. I looked at a lot of different things. And I just thought the goal really should be is to make do a super nice version of his product. All right. And like the tongue on the V5, to me, kind of like reminds me the tongue on the Air Jordan 6. Yes. Well, good, great call. <clears throat> That's exactly where it came from. Uh, because again, you know, Mike would tell me about things he liked about Air Jordan. And one thing about it, for him to have access to a quick pull on his tongue, I thought would be important. So here's where Jason Maiden comes in again to save the day. I was like, Jay May, I need your help. He said, what is it, man? I'm like, I need, I need to get a six uh, as a reference. Yeah, no problem. So he brought the six and we talked about it. And uh, we sketched a little bit. And he's like, hey, this is what I would do. I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. I'd sketch. And we both agreed, okay, this is what we're going to do, man. This is what it's going to be like. So it really was kind of like a kind of like a, a, a tip our hat and a homage to uh, Air Jordan 6. Like, did um, Vic's legal problems at that time have a lot to do with the line stopping? Yes, it did, Janelle. As a matter of fact, uh, I was in the airport. Uh, on my way back to Oregon from another business trip uh, when all of the dogfighting allegations came about. And I just remember sitting in that chair and all of a sudden I hear my phone go, and I look at my phone and it's him, it's Mike. And he says, E, he goes, I just want to tell you, man, I'm so sorry for what you're about to hear. He goes, I didn't do a lot of what they're saying. He goes, but my money's tied to it. And it's just going to be difficult, man. He said, just let everybody know I'm sorry. He goes, but this won't be the last you see of me, right? I'll be back, I promise. <clears throat> and, he, and he did a hashtag, comeback kid. And I remember that text. And I thought, man, what is going on? Well, Jimmy, I don't have to tell you because you already know. Yeah. Uh, once the allegations came up and all of the other stuff came up, he went from being the darling of the league to... He was the man that everybody hated. And it was just, they hated him. Um, you know, how could he do this? How could he do that? And, you know, uh, they vilified him. They really did. I didn't, I didn't think that the, that he should have been vilified that way. But you can't tell the American public <clears throat> what to think or what to do. And so they did what they did. Um, but, you know, I will say this. I remember the feeling, and it was really sad. And, you know, I had my personal frustrations with it. You know, people would even ask me, but were you with him when he did that? You know, you go, uh, no, I wasn't. And, you know, damn you for even asking me that. Because you think I'm going to sit around and let that shit happen? So it's one of those, come on, y'all, really? But, you know, people always want to have, they want to touch something that they don't like when they know they should. So they want to poke at you or they want to, you know, oh, you had all the success. Why don't we just bring hell to your doorstep too? <clears throat> but you know, I was I was fortunate in the sense of it only affected what I was creating, not what I was doing. And so you know, when it all came about, you know, Mike realized he had to you know pay his penance. He did it. He did it honorably, and he did it without arguing. He just said, "I did wrong. I'm going to 
you know, correct my mistake by doing my time. And uh, I'm proud of him because, again, a lot of people couldn't have did it that way. You know, they would have just said, you know, y'all work on blah, blah, blah. No, he stood his ground. He said, all right, <clears throat> so I, I got to do it. I'm going to do it. Footwear-wise, it was the end of the era. I knew it. I'm like, this is over. We're not going to get this chance anymore. So there was a Vic 6. There was a Vic 6. Um, it never happened. Um, there were drawings. There was a sketchbook. There was all of the details attached. But uh, it never happened. Well, what are the plans for the V6? Well, <clears throat> the premise at that point, you know, <clears throat> the way that the way that he was playing the game and how how he was doing it was amazing. And I thought, you know, what happens when you can only see lines or you can only see a certain sequence um, that will lead you to believe, dang, this guy's just got it. <clears throat> so I had the idea of doing, like back in the heel area, a handful of open slots. And in the slot, what I was going to do is I was going to make it so that at probably 20 paces, you would see the number seven. <clears throat> but up close, all you see is the slots. Right? So it's like seeing a digital seven. <clears throat> and of course, I came back with the Air Force One with a super clean toe, uh, but really wanted the shoe to just look fast and super clean. But again, it was never to, it was never to be. However, there is an offshoot of that shoe, and the person who actually stepped up and said, "I represent," uh, in, in that absence was Ladanian Tomlinson. So LT's LT two point one is seventy percent Air Zoom Vic six, and thirty percent LT's ask for certain things on the shoe. Like a lot of good things came from um, from Michael Vick's Nike line, I think. Like, what do you think is the lasting legacy of of his shoe? I think the lasting legacy is probably that you know a non basketball shoe that was on the football field in the modern era, which is you know from two thousand two forward, had the same level of attention. And excitement that all of his contemporaries in basketball had, because in 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 training it just nineties they did it, but in the two thousands nothing really did that except Arizona. All right, we all right. We're gonna take it to the streets for some fan questions. Um, right. Stuart from, from Stuart New York City from Twitter asks, um, "Do you have a favorite shoe that you worked on?" Wow. Stuart, good question. Thank you for the question. <clears throat> Probably one of my favorite shoes, because I do have many, uh, was a Reebok shoe called the Rafter. Um, very simple shoe. Uh, came out 1995, 96, more like 95, though. Um, it was a real simple shoe. Super clean toe. Uh, a few person in the, in the vamp area. Um, a oval patch with the logo on it and a leather line behind it. That went to a real simple midsole with what I call a pony strap in the back, which was a simple little two, three lace eyelet loop where you could pull it with a draw cord and make the heel tight. Um, that was one of my favorite shoes, man, because there was so much happening, Stuart, like with, you know, this shoe's got a pump and it's got hexalite and it's got straps and this and that. I'm like, it's too much stuff on shoes. Isn't there just one shoe with nothing that just looks awesome? So I took a chance. 
And I had a lot of people at Reebok at the time hate me for that shoe. They said, oh, this shoe's stupid. <laughs> Nobody wants to wear that shoe. But you know what? Uh, Brian Shaw rocked it. LL Cool J rocked it. Uh, Mike Tyson rocked it. Uh, and a handful of other NBA guys uh, rocked it. I think Nick Van Exel put it on a couple times. D. Brown wore it a couple times. Um, and I, I knew when I did that shoe, it was right. It was just right because it was simple. It was one of my favorite shoes. Carlton Lewis from Facebook's Axe. Um, what was it like being a young black designer in the early 90s? Man, <clears throat> Carlton, great question. You know, one of the things that was amazing of being a young black designer in the 90s is imagine you're creating something that you know the general public is going to see. They're going to see what you design if it makes the cut. <clears throat> but then imagine you're going to travel over to, you know, uh, China or Korea or Indonesia or Thailand to help finish that product. Now imagine in the process being a young guy, black guy, 90s, you're getting on a plane and you're sitting in business class thinking, wow, I'm sitting in business class about to go over to the factory and work with the, the team that's going to make this shoe and get this shoe right. Meanwhile, you're getting treated really nice and you're feeling like, man, like, I like the feeling of this, right? Um, and the fact that, you know, you could tour around and you could go to different cities in Asia, across Asia, Hong Kong, etc., see cool stuff. And it was all because of sneakers, all because of sneakers. I was, my passport was getting thick and I'm like, man, this is so awesome. Um, the only other thing that matched that, <clears throat> that I think made me feel equally good was when I either had a friend or family member, if I could give them a pair of shoes. And or I watched somebody buy it, but they didn't know I was watching them buy it. I just stood there and watched and I could see the happiness on their face. That to me, Carlton, that made me so happy. And they didn't, they didn't even know I was standing there. I'm just watching. It's like, wow, they love the shoe that they got. And I was a part of it. So that that was what made being a designer in the 90s so special. All right. And the last fan question is Hoop Kingdom from Instagram. He asks, uh, who was your favorite athlete? that you work with? Wow. Favorite athlete that I ever worked with. That's a tough one, man, because I work with so many good ones. Um, I'll say this. Can I do this? Uh, favorite thing about certain ones? Can I do that? Is that legal? Yeah, give yeah, me. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. All right. So, uh, overall, this that just will blow your mind. My favorite by far, Shaquille O'Neal. There's nobody like Shaq. Shaq can make you laugh. Shaq can make you think. Shaq will make you get up and dance. He'll have you laughing all day. But you know he's serious and he's just a wonderful person. Um, when it comes to what I call like sincere, for me, definitely uh, Mike Vick is in that category. Just super honest, just straight up, tell you how you feel. Um, when you talk about focus, definitely goes to Steph Curry. Super focused, knows what he wants, talks about it, tells you in depth and detail. Um I would say probably most like sure about what was needed was Latanian Thomas. Like he knew what he needed. And he's like, this, it's got to be like this. Got to be like this because this is what I need. This is what I got to do. Um, so, you know, every player, man, had something special. So I have to pass number ones out across the board. All right. Well, E, I just want to thank you for your time. You're a legend when it comes to the sneaker community. And you truly blessed the culture with classic sneakers that will live forever. Thank you, man. Well, you know what? And I just want to say to all of the 
you know, the audience out there, Jamel, on your show, uh, there's a couple of things I want you, you all to know, both young men, young women. This industry belongs to you, okay? It belongs to you. It's your industry. All I did and all of the people before me, all we did was take care of it until you showed up or until you show up because I don't own it. It's not mine. It's yours. You can design the next great. Have your own company. You don't have to have Nikes. You can make your own brand. This is that time right now, right? And in the world we live in today, guess what? There's nothing stopping you from having your own brand, your own concept, your own line of clothes, sneakers, hats. You know, I would ask you this uh, as a young creative person, do your homework. Learn about how people buy direct to consumer. Learn what things cost uh, to be made. Learn how big business is done both nationally, regionally and globally. Okay. Probably the last thing is, no matter how great you become, no matter how awesome your company is, just promise me one thing. Be a nice person. Be a nice person. Give people some time. Talk with them. Share with them. I worked for Nike for 15 years. Whenever I see Phil Knight, he always talked to me. He asked me how I was doing. He asked me how designing was going. And he asked me, is there anything I can do to help? Now, if the man who created Nike can stop and talk to talk to me or anybody else, I think we could take a little extra time to talk to somebody. So that's my little piece of advice today.